Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. And I just realized that every time it's my turn to open it, I say the same thing. I say, well, hello, everyone, like I'm some late model Gian Gomeshi. <laughs> no, I'm you're gonna, not. <laughs> I'm going to try and do something very different uh, in the future. Let's, let's not be like him. He's not really a role model. Yeah, he was even more slimy in the way he did it. Well, hello, and welcome to Q. So, with that fine opening... Yeah, but nobody even knows who that is unless you live in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was big news in Canada for a while, yeah, but now that's he's been true. overshadowed. Uh, By so, all of the other Me Too mm-hmm. uh, men. I don't even know how to say it. The men who have fallen victim to the Me Too movement. Victim. Yeah. See, that's what I had in my head, but they're not victims. They were victimizing. They were not victims themselves. Yes. And we're off to a fine I know. That's that. a, well, yours started with the Jean Gameshi. Okay, let's try that again. Do you want to start again? Good day, and welcome to the Carrier's Edge podcast. Is that a better opening? <sighs> okay. We'll just leave it at that. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Mark Morell, co-founder of Carrier's Edge. And I'm Jane Jess Rowley, the other co-founder of Carrier's Edge. And the person who tries to keep me in line. I generally do. In the beginning. And then as we get talking about things, I try and steer you back to the subject, usually unsuccessfully. Well, today we are going to be talking about, well, my training, the, what I'm writing now, which is whistleblower training. I just finished harassment, workplace violence and harassment. We have a lot of things because it turns out it's been exactly a month since our last podcast. So we are once again falling off of our three-week schedule. Yeah. But we've had a lot going on in that time. So we still uh, can uh, recap some of the activities um, that we've done in that time. We haven't talked about our experiences at Truck World, you finishing up your tour, or I think you had just finished your tour at that point, and uh, everything that happened then why we're uh, a week late with this edition because of uh, our adventures in the city last week and what we're doing in the next little while. So we got lots of things to talk about. Okay. Today. Yeah. So why don't we start with uh, a quick recap of the fabulousness that was truck world this year? Yeah, it was fun. It seems like ages ago. Now. I know everything seems like months and months ago like when you're really busy you're just doing, you're just lurching from one event to another. And then afterwards, it seems like it all happened years ago. Yeah. So I think it was, yeah, not even three weeks ago, but. Well, it was, it was a weird one because usually, because it goes from Thursday to Sunday and usually the Sunday is always. Saturday. Sorry, Saturday. And the Saturday is always crazy. Mm-hmm. So it, it goes from Thursday to Saturday. Three days. Okay. I thought it was four. Um, and the first day generally is not that busy, but it was this year. There was a lot of people around. It was really uh, full. Well, yeah. And what struck me uh, this year about the show is it was very it was a very different experience, and and that sort of busyness was everywhere in every kind of way. For us going to this show, it's a driver focused show. It's really a truck show. Um, you know, they have all of the equipment people are there showing off their new models. They've got historic 
uh, trucks out there uh, that they're, they're displaying recruiting. as well. Tons of recruiting booths that are there. But they uh, have a whole section for yeah, this recruiting. Yeah, so for us, normally it's kind of a show that we go to just because it's our local show and it's a chance to kind of meet with some partners and customers and we feel like we should support it. And if we didn't go, then everybody would be like, why weren't you at Truck World? Yeah, so we go to it. But this year was very busy. Um we had lots of lots of partners and customers coming by, which is good. But we actually did some business there, which was kind of weird. Normally, we have seats uh, at our booth that are really for people to come and have a rest. And our partners will come and they'll do business there. Yeah, uh, we don't do it. We, <laughs> we just, just let them. We just provide a workspace for our, our partners to come and do their meetings and things. Uh, but uh, this year... Well, it's we, hilarious when people will sit on the beanbag chairs and have a meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have beanbag chairs in our and, booth, which are very... Uh, much an attention getter because it's it's different and they're like a, a zebra print on them. So and people sit in them now, like yeah. twice now. There have been meetings going on, and somebody has been sitting in a beanbag. <laughs> well, what like... I think is funny is the first day everybody's like, "Oh, I'd never sit in that. Oh, if I sat in it, I wouldn't get out. Oh, I couldn't go in that thing." But by like middle of Friday, those beanbags are in use. Yeah. So everybody starts out with a good idea of how they're not going to try because it's too low and they'll never get out of them. But then the allure of that comfort is just too much. I love how the kids, when the kids come by, they just they just jump in. <laughs> I don't even, I mean, all of a sudden you turn around and then there's a kid in a beanbag and it's like, yep, okay. Yeah, there's a Saturday, family looking for the child. Yeah, when all of the kids come with their parents on Saturday, it's, uh, yeah, they, they do love the beanbags. See, we don't have giveaways but we do have the bean, we do have chairs, and I think those are as valuable as the giveaways. Mm-hmm. They're not uncomfortable chairs. Like, even our, the regular chairs aren't uncomfortable. They're nice to sit in. Mm-hmm. So, they're not recliners, but they're, they're padded. So, people like to stop. And there is something to be said for being able to just stop and sit down when you're in the middle of that show. There's a lot of walking, and it's mm-hmm. you're walking on pretty much on concrete. It's not like the carpets are padded. Yeah. Unless you go in the booths where the car- carpets are padded, but all the the carpet going along, I mean, it's really, really tiring. And if you walk that whole show, and this year it was all five halls. So that's a lot of walking. And they were all sold out. Yeah. Basically, every booth was, uh, was packed. Every booth was sold out. We did have that really strange experience of having the booth next to us pack up halfway through the show. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> We had some we had some bizarre things happen and and then when that person decided to go out through an emergency exit that had in big letters the alarm will sound and and funnily enough the alarm sounded for a really long time mm-hmm. and when you're stuck at a booth that's uh, 20 feet away it's not pleasant. No, we did have an alarm situation for half an hour on uh, the Friday afternoon but yeah the funnier part of that was the booth beside us that was a 20 foot booth so not a small space and they never did have that much of a display in there they had a couple of chairs and a table and they had a few roll-up banners and there was two people i think that were working at it on the thursday and i think one guy who was there on friday and after lunch on friday this was like one o'clock because was while we were gone to have a break um he just packed up and left so like for friday afternoon and all day saturday this booth was empty and uh, I guess the guy had had enough or decided he didn't want to work it, wanted a long weekend or something. But it was pretty funny because the show organizers were not happy at all. And uh, they happened to come by as we were uh, we were chatting and they're like, what's going on here? And I'm like, well, 
you know, the guy, uh, the guy just cleared out. So, they, but he had furniture. There was furniture there that he had rented. So, you yeah, know, the rented furniture stayed for the whole week. Yeah, so and people took advantage of that. Yeah. So it became basically a garbage pit and a few extra chairs. <laughs> That we got to be right next to, although yeah. they were far enough away that that it yeah, wasn't it that much of an issue. Look, look bad, but it was. But it, that's what we are going to remember from that truck show. Although, like all kinds of stuff happened. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to remember the thing that jumped out at me, uh, and I wrote about this in a LinkedIn article uh, a couple of weeks ago. But what really struck me is the number of drivers who came by our booth to talk to us which I loved because it's great to have the fleet people come by and talk about the product. And sometimes they're, uh, they're not customers yet. So they're asking questions and sometimes they are customers and they want to know what's coming or talk about uh, questions they may have about stuff they're doing. That's all fantastic. But when you get the drivers coming by to talk about the, the training, that was really exciting for me because they're sort of walking by and usually you figure the drivers, they're on their way to see some new, uh, fancy equipment or they want to look at something that's more exciting than online safety training. But when they take a minute to stop and say, oh, we use this. I like this product. Yeah, you guys have good stuff. That's fantastic. Yeah, that is nice to hear. Um, or ask when they're going to get more, what else is coming and all of that kind of stuff. So, Or where can I get a list of all the courses? Yeah. There was uh, a couple who wanted to see the list of they because they were only seeing what their carrier was giving them, but they knew that there was more and they wanted to be able to ask for it. So that mm-hmm. was like, okay. That was great. We've come a long way since the, the days of drivers don't like online training or drivers can't use computers or whatever other thing that they like to say so that they get you off the phone. Well, what's funny is that never came from the drivers. That was always those safety managers, those stand up trainers yep. that were threatened by it, who didn't see how they could work together with this. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the drivers have never really been an issue, but there's still that perception that drivers don't like training or they don't want to get trained or they don't want any of that information, which I've always thought was complete garbage. So it's nice to see drivers coming by and sort of validating that position that they do want that. They do want to learn more. They want to get better. They want to certainly want to be safer and more efficient in their job. And as long as you don't treat them like idiots, as long as you provide them training that t- treats them like intelligent professionals, they're going to be all for it. Mm-hmm. So that was the uh, the high point for me of of the show was all of that stuff. Um, I like the the salute to women behind the wheel, the Canadian salute. Oh yeah, I guess that should be a high point for me as well since we sponsored that. Yeah, we sponsored that, and we both went to it. So that was a good event. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the would they say the third time they've done a salute to women behind the wheel. Women in trucking um, puts that on and they partnered with OBAC uh, for that. And uh, they've done, I think this is the second one in Canada and they've done, they're doing one in BC. That may already have happened. Oh, I uh, think it's this weekend. Was it this weekend? I think it's, I think it's today that show starts. So they're doing that and they also did one in the Atlantic provinces. Mm-hmm. So I guess that'll be, they will have done four in Canada, but we get, I mean, the turnout is biggest in Toronto, Mm -hmm. uh, just because that's the biggest show. So Yeah, and they've been doing it for years at Mid-America, so I think... Yeah, they get a lot of people participating at Mid-America. Yeah, I think they've been doing doing it it for... It's got to be 10 years they've been doing it there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it's nice to see it expanding, and nice to see their membership growing, and... uh, and there's an image team now for Canada, yep. which is, is nice. Um, a lot of very excited 
people mm-hmm. who uh, who made the image team. And yeah, it was nice to see. It's nice to be able to support, you know, not necessarily, um, well, I guess it is supporting women doing these jobs, but also sort of showing women who have been successful in a non-traditional job, which they, there was a couple of them who, uh, who had between more than 25 or 30, there was one who had more, more than 40 is it 30 or 40 years of experience driving? It was crazy how much experience she had. So she was probably way back in the day where you're, you know, tying a uh, wooden block to the pedals to be able to reach <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, so it was nice to see that there was like some like 700 years worth of experience in that in the room. So that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good event. Uh, so yeah, it was a good show. Exhausting as usual, mm-hmm. being on your feet for three long days, which always floors me that the show seems to go by in a blur, but there are also always long periods where you're standing there and you feel like nothing's happening and you're bored and you're aching and you're wondering how much longer is it going to be? And There's not look. much of that. Uh, well, there was a few blocks for yeah. each of us had a few of those where the time just kind of goes tick. Yeah. Tick. Tick. You look and there's still two hours left in the day. Yeah. Uh, But uh, yeah, it was good. So another excellent show there. And what have we been up to since? Well, finishing up all the other work. Now that the Mm -hmm. main block of travel and events is over, we've been getting caught up on a whole bunch of other work. And you mentioned off the top that you've finished uh, um, the harassment course and are working on whistleblower. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Well, it's depressing, let me tell you, because it's like I've just been talking about bad behavior in the workplace for about a month. Oh. Yeah, so I'm researching it and writing about it, and it's really depressing because it's like, yep, that we have so many words for bad behavior in the mm-hmm. work, or just bad behavior, uh, that it's kind of like, you know, the Inuit words for snow like you have you know 400 words for snow because it's all around you all the time and there's so many different ways you can talk about it like there's wet snow dry you know dry flaky snow the snow that's good for snowballs it's the same thing with her like bad behavior or negative behaviors in the workplace is that there's so many words Mm. to actually describe it you know you have bullying harassment sexual harassment, gender identity harassment, then there's different kinds of violence, there's threatening behavior, there's, you know, verbal abuse, There, it can be written, it can be online, it's, it's insane. So um, I have finished that, though, and what we what we tried to do was make it make it a course about identifying it and then figuring out what to do about it when it happens. So it's not just a you know, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, but this is what this behavior looks like. And if you experience this kind of a thing, here are some examples, then these are the things that you can do about it. So we did that. And then what happened was I did this course for both the U.S. and Canada. And in Canada, there aren't, a lo- there aren't great whistleblower laws. I hmm. think they're coming, but they aren't there. There's, there is uh, some whistleblower legislation that was passed. It's something about securities in fin- the financial uh, arena. I can see that. But not in just general workplace. But however, in the U.S., there's like 30 different statutes that are all all different parts of laws that 
protect whistleblowers in different uh, in different industries. So there's one for trucking, there's one for environmental, there's one for financial, there's there's just there's one for healthcare. It's it, there's tons of them, and they're all written into other laws. So they're bits of other laws, and. Um, so the reason that I started thinking about whistleblowing was because that was part of it. it. Part of harassment was that if this is happening and your company isn't doing anything about it, you can go elsewhere. And these are the places that you can go and basically tell somebody else, which is really, you know, in my experience of being harassed or bullied in the workplace, I really didn't know where to go or if that there was anywhere else to go besides trying to talk to someone at the workplace. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of, and in Canada, there isn't really. So I was kind of, I think that if I was in the same situation today, I'd still be stuck. Well, yeah, but even, even then, if you had the vague idea that there might be some government entity that you could go and talk to, um, where do you go? That would have been the challenge is like, okay, how do I find them? Who do I talk to? Which government entity? Now, at least we have the internet, which makes it a little bit easier to search these things and find it. But it was, you know, back when we were in the regular workforce and experiencing this stuff, it was, uh, it was a lot tougher because you have to basically go to the, the blue pages in the phone book and try and look for some government entity that might have a phone number in there. And then you call them and sit on hold forever and you end up getting frustrated and not doing anything so and and part of the really difficult part of violence and harassment is that when people are trying to protect the perpetrator they try to make the victim feel crazy mm -hmm. that is a common very very common um uh, angle and that happened to me quite a bit and you don't feel like you even have anything to say. Like, you know you feel bad, but you don't know how... You, you basically are being prevented from speaking about it. So you don't know... You don't think you can't even speak about it. You're trying to verify if this is a, if this is really something bad that's happening to you or am I crazy? Because everybody is telling you you're crazy or that you have the problem, not anybody else. Even though you can see and everybody else can see that the problem is actually in this other person, not you. And that's very common for victims. And that's, I think, one of the biggest hurdles to get over. And this is why what's happening today with social media and talking about it and basically outing all of these bad, uh, bad actors. And I don't mean actors in the sense <laughs> of Harvey Weinstein. I mean, just bad people who are doing these things, the perpetrators, um, you know, people are starting to get some language around it. And I find that that's the best educational tool is to give people language around what they're what they're experiencing. And then when they have the language and then they can talk about it and change it and make it better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's it's good. And uh, it sounds like a challenging course to create, especially since there's so many different um, types of regulations or, or laws in different uh, places. Well, for whistleblowing, there's a couple that apply. Like there's really, you know, you can really see which ones apply, but mm -hmm. mostly whistleblower protection is that if you do go outside your company and complain, or not complain, but try to get assistance, there are specific things that you can do. 
and your company is not allowed to retaliate against you, which is another thing that has happened, in my experience has also happened, is that if you do try to say something, oh man, they don't want you to do that. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to fix a problem, if they want to keep the status quo, then they will do everything in their power to try and make you either quit or keep you shut up. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a lot of the reason why we have our own company because... I managed to just find the people who are the worst people to work for. Mm-hmm. And we just leave a trail of bad bosses behind me. So it's all for the best then. You ended up in your own company. I did, writing about, you know, what should be happening and, <laughs> and how things should be, what a respectful workplace looks like. And that's actually really interesting that this is what people are doing now is talking about not necessarily all the things you can't do, which can be a little overwhelming, right? You can't, you know, what behavior is going to be considered sexual harassment? Can you say something flirty? You know, is that going to be harassment? Can you tap someone on the shoulder? Is that going to be violence? Like, you know, people get really overwhelmed by it. But when you talk about what it's supposed to look like, what a respectful workplace looks like, then it's easier to sort of say, yes, this is my intention. This is what I'm trying to do. I want to make sure everybody feels equal. I want to make f- sure everybody feels like, respected. And then when you have that in your head, then all of these negative behaviors that, you know, sometimes you just have a bad day and say something horrible to someone. But if you're in a respectful workplace, you have the it's okay to apologize or to acknowledge that you did it and move on. Whereas in a toxic workplace where there's a lot of harassment and nasty negative behavior, it's a lot harder to sort of step up and say, sorry about that, because then you're highlighting the rest of, or you're looking weak because everybody else is doing it. You know, I think there's a lot of that too, where people feel like if they don't behave that way, then they're going to look weak. And that's a very toxic masculine type of um, environment, which I've also been in. So having worked in a lot of male-dominated industries, like fun times, fun times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I hear those comments periodically about, oh, you can't say anything anymore. You can't do anything. And yeah, so when when you were talking about that, I was making a face and rolling my eyes because I have so little patience for guys that say that it's like, come on, that's really what you take away from this. You can't say anything. Well, maybe everything you're saying is stupid. (laughs) Stop being such a jerk. (laughs) You know? Yeah. There are really simple answers to this stuff. You know, everybody can make a mistake, but if you keep doing it, that's the problem. Yeah. That is when you get a toxic workplace. Somebody says, I don't like that. And you keep doing it. That's yes. the problem. Which is what you teach your kids, you know? Exactly. If someone says, I don't like that, or you hurt my feelings, you apologize and move on. That's what we've always talked taught yeah. our kids. It shouldn't be a, you know, arguing about whether, the, the whether you know, that action made you feel like that. It doesn't matter. It made you feel a feeling, and that's not your intention. You apologize. Yeah. So. Yeah. Behave like adults, basically. Mature adults. It's funny how you get a group of people in a, in a confined, well, I guess not a confined, but uh, workplaces is, is generally confined. You're within four walls. You have your little baffle at your desk where you're confined in your vehicle. 
and you can't get out of it. It's not like you can just leave. If you have to work for so many hours, you are kind of trapped. So the whole um, little community that you create is can be either very good or very bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there's... And, you know, you have to, and we talk a lot about having the right fit for employees. Mm-hmm. You know, are you going to be able to survive in our environment, which can be very difficult because our environment is not four walls. Yeah. Our environment is whatever your environment at home is, that's your environment. So well, our environment is more of a concept. and It's more of a virtual yeah. of creation. So if you're the person who needs those four walls and needs that physical constraint of a workplace and five other people around you sitting at desks or whatever, then that's not going to work in our situation. Um, We need people who can get into a particular kind of almost like go into their imagination in their head to do the job, which a lot of the work is creative work. So you need to get in your head for it anyway, but it's a very particular type of environment and not everybody fits. But that's funny that you mentioned that because I think that's sort of, getting into that miss, um, uh, the, the bad fit and the missing of uh, one piece and another where you have people that will end up with a whole bunch of poor fits that end up creating a very toxic environment. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that kind of, in, in some ways, a lot of that behavior is okay if everybody is part of it and everybody is accepting of it, but... There's certainly a lot of behavior that's just terrible no matter what. But there are some things that can be okay in some situations if everybody's cool with it and terrible in others. And like we see this in the tech industry. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering what what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. There's a lot of companies in the tech industry um, that advertise that their workspace is almost like party central. They've got mm. foosballs and they've got a beer fridge and come and be part of it. Well, for some people, that's fantastic. And for some other people, that's an absolute nightmare. And you put the two of those together. If you've got a bad fit, you're going to have a lot of problems. You're going to have all of the bros. Oh, come on, man, play foosball. What are you, you're being so stressed all the time. Come and chill out with us. And then you're going to have the other people saying, you're just a bunch of immature jerks. Get some work done. And also the noise. And the noise. The noise level can be really distracting if you have, if you work in your head a lot. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's re- like for writing, it's incredibly difficult to work when there's noise. Yeah. Um, or for me anyway. So I like having no one around. I like having, you know, all the sound blocked out so that I can concentrate on what I'm trying to to say, because when I can't concentrate on what I'm trying to say, that's when the mistakes are happening. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when, you know, the the bad writing comes back to haunt me. And there are some people who need a lot of that kind of social stimulus, like the extrovert types that need a lot of the hallway conversations or the, the gossip sessions and all of that kind of stuff in order to uh, figure things out. And that's just how they work. And in those situations... If they're in a group full of people like that, it can work fine. If if there's other people that don't fit that, then you end up with a lot of workplace problems. And I think that there's a lot of people who don't realize that they're not going to be able to do a job very well. And and that goes with trucking. You know, the whole idea of can you be a driver and be alone with your thoughts 
and yet be alert at the same time to everything that's going on because you're, you know, you're hauling the, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of things and are very dangerous on the highway. How can you, you know, how do you handle it, that, handle that? Do you need to have social contact all the time? Do you need to be looking at your phone all the time so that you see what's going on on Facebook or whatever? So you're not suited to be a truck driver if that is your personality. It's more difficult. And the same thing with us is that it's diff- if you're social, and then it's more difficult to actually function in our environment because you're alone for long periods of time and you have to only communicate virtually. So we communicate over Skype, we communicate over you know WebEx or the phone or whatever, but we don't very often see each other. So if you want that, if you want that you know connection, then this is not the job for you. And people don't know until they experience it. They think that working at home is going to be great. Like the example of Debbie Sparks, her changing from TCA to uh, Reese Across America, and then she's working at home, and it's like, oh, my God, how do I fill my time? Yeah. It's, uh, it's yeah, she it's, said it took some time, took several months for her to get used to that. Yeah, it's, it's very different. Well, we see that looking at uh, the fleet side as well. And I, I've written about it before. I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but the idea that, um, you know, you may be a driver, but the fleet, the type of fleet business may be completely wrong fit for what you're after. I mean, there are companies, and we see this every year when we announce the, the best fleets and the fleets to watch. And there's always people that are like, what? How can you put them on the list? They're awful. We have drivers that come from them and hate them. Well, it may not be that the company is bad. It may just be a bad fit for that person. You know, if maybe it's a big company that is going to have lots of opportunity for advancement and variety, but is also going to have bureaucracy. And maybe a driver is not going to like that bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. That driver is going to be happier at a smaller company. And the trade-off is there's not as much variety, there's not as much opportunity for advancement. So there's going to be big differences that are out there. And it's important to have that self-awareness to know what situations work well for you and find the one that's a fit for that. So maybe, you know, maybe it's a driver who really needs to be at a 10 person company. They really And there's do. definite um, differences between that small, tiny, tiny company and something where there's huge bureaucracy. It's, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. And you may not even know yourself whether or not, you know, where you fit best. And I think that for me, I was the smaller companies. I never really thought about whether I wanted to work for a small company or a small organization when I started. No, most people don't think about it in that, that in the beginning. Because they don't know. Yeah, although the perception for a lot of young people is you get in at the ground floor of a big company and there's room to advance and all of that yeah. other stuff. But more and more, your path to advancement isn't in one company the way it was 20 or 50 years ago. Your path to advancement is doing a bit here, then going to another company for a couple of years and doing something there and moving around to get a broad range of experiences. And then maybe you end up at a larger company, but um, it's not quite the same. So it's worth exploring what size a company is going to be a fit. Maybe you want that process. Maybe you are kind of that uh, organized, methodical type person where you like the process and the rigor that is inherent in a large company. Or maybe you're the kind of person who's more of a seat of the pants type uh, where you want to have the option to do a whole bunch of different things because it's a small company and everybody's wearing multiple hats. 
Um, even though the work is the same, okay, well today you're going to have to do this tomorrow. You do a bit of maintenance and maybe you got to help out on dispatch one day, whatever. Um, all of those are going to be fits for some people and terrible and then, for others. And then what's interesting is one of the best fleets, and I can't remember who, was starting a basically a millennial owner-operator program because people who were coming in as younger drivers wanted to go have that path towards ownership much more quickly. Do you remember who it was? I think that might have been TLD because I... I I, I was thinking Grand Island Express, but somebody had it, and I and I think you interviewed them because I don't think I yeah you I'm, told me about I'm it. I have to look that up because I want to. I'm now that you mention it, I'd forgotten about that, but that was a great program, and I want to talk about it in my uh, speech next week. Because I think a lot of millennials are looking at entrepreneurship as as sort of a solution to the fact that millennials and jobs have not always been really good. <laughs> a good connection. You know, there's always, you know, millennials haven't had the opportunities that us Gen Xers had um, or the baby boomers had in terms of having jobs just available. If you have the education, then there's a job that you're going to go to. A lot of them, a lot of them were unable to get jobs because of the, the big recession. And so, you know, they're more motivated by how they can, you know, create a career for themselves. So, you know, having that opportunity for them, even though they're just starting out, have them thinking about how they can become the owner of a truck or of a small fleet or mm -hmm. do whatever, um, whatever it is that their career goals or where that, where it lies. Cause you want to have that, you, you want to sort of inspire that i think mm -hmm. you don't necessarily just want to fill up your trucks but you want to fill up your trucks with people who want, are going to want to stay in the industry yeah no it's it's yeah it's a good program and i had forgotten about it but uh, i'm going to dig it up because as it happens i've got a uh, large presentation to do next week about best fleet stuff and i am right in the middle of uh, trying to piece it all together and it's stressing me out really it always does <laughs> I know. That is not news to you. Could it be that you're stressed? I always get stressed by these things. So what's striking me, though, is that for a long time, for six years, I did a cross-country speaking tour every May uh, talking about Best Fleet stuff. And I would do a half-day seminar um, just recapping what we found in the Best Fleets programs and, and what's going on, new things, all of that kind of stuff. And I would do, it was a real grind. So I would do it like over six weeks and I would do 10 to 12 cities where I would do the same speech. And usually there's a conference in there as well. So I'd go and I'd do two or three a week. Um, and it would be like fly in the night before, do the speech in the morning, then fly out to the next city in the afternoon. And we stopped doing that a few years ago for a couple of different reasons. But it's over the time since it's become less and less uh, that we do each spring in terms of speeches. We try and do fewer and get to the same amount or more people by doing them. But this year, sort of the first time in probably two or three years, I've got to do a full like two hour, two hour plus presentation about Best Fleet stuff. That's all new content. And it's just it's killing me putting it together now. I cannot comprehend how I managed to do that tour 
for all of those years because, you know, just going out of town, I'm going to fly out to Winnipeg, I think next Tuesday, we do the thing Wednesday and I'm back Wednesday night. But putting together the content, rehearsing it, getting it ready, and then being out of town to do it, it's already killing me because I get so many other things. You've lost your chops. I think part of it is that I'm not in shape for it. I think another part of it is that we've got a lot of other things happening. We're a lot busier now than we were then uh, with different things that are happening. We've got a lot of uh, activities with our partners and uh, a lot happening on the product side as well. So, ah, the innocent days of yore when I could take six weeks and do a tour and, you know, the world wouldn't collapse around (laughs) me. Although you thought it was. You always thought it was collapsing. Yeah. <laughs> there was so, always, I mean, this is nothing new, your stress. Yeah, I always Did had I stress. Did I do this before the Great West Casualty oh, stuff? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I was so just as bad. You kind of did your tour back in, in March. Yeah, February was your nightmare month. So I'm, uh, I'm not that organized. I'm just putting the content together now, less than a week before I do the presentation. Yeah, but, but you're taking content from mine. You're taking content from the one we already did. I'm so. realizing that I kind of have to. Uh, but yeah, that helps. Um, so where I'm going with it right now is digging into the driver comments, which is always a grind, but you get good information out of it. So I spent probably an hour and a half last night looking through the driver comments, and I... I think optimistically I might be about a third of the way through them. Uh, And this is just the driver comments for the one question, uh, what would you like to see changed in your company? Because I want to start collecting sort of the general thoughts on what drivers are interested in seeing changed. And uh, I know you had gone through that and pulled out like word cloud stuff and, and categorized some stuff. And it was really interesting that what you found is that driver pay or the various ways they describe it, pay, miles, uh, you know, income, all of that kind of stuff, uh, only accounted for 20%, a little more than 20% of the, of the responses. So The responses to the question, the question you're about, looking at? Well, yeah, what do you want to see change? Oh, okay. Only 20% of the drivers said pay, which the assumption is, oh, pay is terrible, and everybody just wants pay, and that's the only thing that needs to be fixed, and like that's you know, 90% of the issues in trucking is just pay, pay, pay which clearly isn't the case because only 20% of the drivers responding said they wanted that changed. And as you noted uh, before in your presentation, that there was a similar significant number of drivers who said that that was the thing they liked best about their company. Mm-hmm. So it comes up as good and bad. It's one of the top three. I think it's the second, was the second most common thing mentioned as one of the things that's the, or what is the best thing? So what so I'm it's crazy. At, I mean, like I, I, driver pay is everywhere. It really is dependent on the company. But what I'm finding here is that there's lots of other things that uh, they're interested in seeing changed. As I've seen many other times before, when we look at this data, there's a significant number of responses where the drivers say there's nothing. They can't think of anything they want changed. So. I didn't add those up, and I don't think you added those in your word cloud, but I, I bet that would be... It is significant. There's it would be a, as much yeah. as the pay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do it this year because I don't think it... Uh, the, 
it could be, I can't be bothered to answer this question because it's the last question. Um, it could be that there really isn't anything or I just can't think of anything while I'm doing this. So I have included it. It is up in the top three. It's, it's either one of the top three or the fourth. It, nothing is very significant, but it's not... It doesn't because it doesn't tell you anything. I, I don't like to use it. Uh, I think that combined with some of the other things is very instructive. I, I think it tells us a lot about uh, overall what the picture looks like with drivers. I think there's a great misperception about what drivers want and their satisfaction levels and all of that. And when you put those together and you say, okay, there's a significant of people. A significant group of people who can't think of anything they want changed and the pay thing that people perceive to be the top issue isn't something that is being mentioned by everyone you know there's as many people saying nothing uh, should change as there are people saying the pay needs to improve uh no i think pay is bigger maybe but not like nothing is pretty significant no it's not um i think the difference between nothing and pay is is like maybe a few percentage points but it is it's not and here's the other thing I don't want it to be I I don't want to come across with the idea that you don't have to change anything that that's kind of going against our our no 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 and that's not where I'm going with this what I'm saying is there is a misperception in the industry that there is a huge mass of unhappy drivers, that all drivers are unhappy because pay is terrible and poor trucking companies can't do anything about that. Hmm. And that is completely wrong. There yes. are a lot of drivers that are perfectly happy with their companies and are willing to say, this place is great and I don't want anything to change. I love it here. And there are a lot of drivers that say, you know what? Pay isn't the biggest issue. There are other things that I'd like to see improved. Um, and those are all things that companies can make a difference with. What are the things that you're seeing besides pay? Well, the things that are jumping out at me that I'm seeing more of so far, and like I said, I'm maybe a third of the way through the comments, so it could change, but just based on what I'm seeing so far, I'm seeing a lot more comments than I recall seeing in the past uh, about things that I have kind of jokingly lumped together as getting old issues, uh, things that you care about as you get old, retirement plans, um, holiday and vacation, health insurance, all of that kind of stuff that you don't care about so much when you're younger, when you want to work. But as you become old, as I recently became, um, <laughs> I recently crossed the threshold to be horribly old, um, you start caring about the retirement stuff more. And they we're seeing a lot of uh, requests for more uh, 401ks, RSP programs, better retirement planning, um, better health insurance or broader coverage, all of that stuff that sort of reflects a maturing workforce. Um, I, I pull out also the comments that sort of stick out as being interesting and different. Um, I, I saw, I was seeing a number of comments where people are asking for fridges in the trucks mm -hmm. provided by the company. So that was a good one. Uh, somebody had said fridges in the trucks paid for by the company because not everybody can afford to buy their own fridge, but you want people to eat healthy. And this is a big way, a big help to do that. So that would be something that's good to have. Um, so there's now, just to be clear, these are not the top things. Um, these are just common things. These are things that are popping out more than I might have expected them. Yeah. You know, it's hard to say if they're the number one thing. So. Well, because when I looked at it, I was looking at 
the most common things that were talked about. So what you were talking about with fridges and um, the getting old stuff, that wasn't very, it wasn't common enough to really hit uh, how I was looking at the data. But because you're- that came out in your search? Um, for communication was the second- was, How does that manifest in the responses? What kind of answers um, do you see on that? Well, the word communicate is is one of the things that people want to see improved. That, like just that word, communicate. Um, I also looked at the word dispatch because most of the time when the word dispatch is used, it, it is in a negative mm-hmm. way. Well, certainly about, if you're wanting to change. Right. So dispatch and communication is kind of in this in the same mm-hmm. the same thing. Um, oh, there was another another word that I was using because I noticed that it was in the same I uh, the same vein as communication. But when I looked at those words as a group, that was pretty much it was huge, mm-hmm. huge. And people don't complain about it when it's good. They don't talk about it at all when it's good. So when you look at what is the best thing, then communication doesn't show up. People don't say, oh, it's a great place to, you know, the communication is so easy and it's always so clear. They say the people are great. That's Mm. what they like best is Mm -hmm. that the people are great. Well, when you say the people are great, then the communication has got to be great because if the communication isn't good, then someone's going to say something about it and they're not going to say the people are great. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are pay communication, and I think it was the trucks. Can't yeah. remember oh, number yeah, three. It was a lot of comments about comments. Well, and and I kind of, I think when I go through it, I sort of discount the ones that I know that are going to be there. That are kind of the obvious ones. Like yeah, there's going to be drivers that are griping because they want the trucks uh, to go faster. Lots of that comment about in changing the speed limiters. Um, having, you know, I don't like this particular model of truck or that sort of thing. Those, those are sort of regular things that aren't a surprise to anybody. Um, you know, there's well, complaints about, about ELDs. There's still drivers that complain about the dash cams or the technologies. And I had one driver saying he doesn't like that. He liked the old days when it was all manual and, you know, no automatic transmission, no e-log, no dash cam. And I'm like, Okay, great, but we're not going back to those days. Exactly, and and there's there is a lot, but you think about it, there's a lot of complaints about the truck because that's their workplace. Yeah, I mean they're stuck in that vehicle. Yeah, and I guess the way I look at it, that has to be an ongoing conversation within the fleet. Yeah, and that's you talk about communication. I would say any request, any grief with the equipment is a communication issue. Because they really need to be having that ongoing detailed conversation about the equipment that's being used because it's their workplace. And we started scoring people this year on whether or not fleets get to uh, uh, or they get input from drivers on the equipment and the fleets that do well um, in those areas that are pulling driver feedback in order to determine what their equipment choices are. They're always ones who do better in the other areas as well because they're keeping drivers in the loop. You know, the drivers understand why they're choosing the equipment they do, and drivers are having a say in it. I thought it was interesting because I had a I was on um, the Sirius uh, XM's Tech Talk with mm-hmm. uh, Robert Braswell and talking about technology in the best fleets and. 
so there was a couple of drivers who called in. And what was interesting was that they were they're calling into a technology show and talking about how much they hate technology. <laughs> and uh, all of them were owner operators. Hmm. And I th- and they weren't. Uh, there was one who had been driving for thirty years and had like three million miles or something like that. And, uh, and then there was another one who had only been driving for five with the same complaint: is that there's too much technology on the trucks. There's too many lights flashing at you. There's too much going on. And unfortunately, you know, you can only scale back for so long. Yeah. You know, you're not getting if you want to get a car right now that doesn't have an electric uh, an electronic gadget to roll down your windows. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tougher. Yeah. Because, or ABS. If you decide you don't like ABS, you're out of luck. Yeah. Car's got them. Or even, you know, a, a manual shift. Mm-hmm. That's hard to find now. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to look for it because most of them are going to be automatic. So. And that's happening in trucking as well, where, you know, they're getting when they get new trucks, they get automatic so that they can it's easier to drive so they can appeal to more people and more people are able to operate them. And so with more people being able to operate it, you can you can widen your net for drivers. But the people who, you know, are are not tech heads and don't appreciate that even some millennials are like that. They don't want to have all of that stuff sitting in the in the truck. And and I think there's going to be a challenge for companies to try and, and figure out how those two things go together. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely going to be an issue that needs to be resolved because there's only going to be more technology. And more automation. More automation of things and companies need to communicate why they're doing it and what the value is. And they need to give people, I think, the time and the opportunity to get used to it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the reason that people gripe about it is because they see it hitting their bottom line directly. They see this stuff impacting their productivity. And since all of the pay models are still based on productivity, then it's a real direct hit to them. You know, there was one comment where Somebody had uh, said, and I was just scanning through the comments, and so I don't know how much truth there is in this, but somebody's saying that uh, the changes, the ELD stuff, and some of the other things that this company had implemented is costing this driver $200 a week. Well, that's a pretty significant hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what is happening to balance that? You know, if you're hitting people on the productivity side and hurting their bottom line, well, they're not going to be in favor of it. So how do you balance that out? You've got to have some way to not punish the driver for that. Exactly. If the company is doing it, the company is investing in it because it's in the long-term best interest of the company to do it, then the company needs to eat that cost and make drivers whole uh, on that uh, on that implementation. And that's, I think, where a lot of that pushback comes is they're just, they're losing out. They don't see a benefit. Yeah. You know, they don't see something is maybe better. You know, a dash cam is better because it's going to help you in court uh, if a crash happens, but it ends up costing me money for whatever reason um, or it's some other way impeding what I do. So they don't see the benefit. They just see the downside. But that's something that trucking companies have traditionally done. Um, but the ones who are not 
or the ones who are less driver centric than others. And and what's happening now is that the idea of becoming more driver centric and including your drivers more is becoming much more popular because drivers don't want to be there. And, yeah. you know, it's harder to get drivers to actually want to be yeah, at your company. We have, the pendulum has swung back to the point where the driver doesn't have to stick around. Where yeah. They jump. Or they don't have to be in the industry anymore. There's lots of other industries that are dying for you know, warm-blooded mm-hmm. uh, people. So it's um, it's becoming... So when trucking companies before would just download things onto the drivers, kind of like, you know, the government's download mm-hmm. onto the smaller governments. And, you know, at the bottom, it's like, whoa, I can't take any more of this. Then companies really have to take a step back and go, okay, if we change this, how is this going to impact the driver? How is this going to impact safety? How is it going to impact our bottom line? And how is it going to impact the driver and get those drivers, get the driver's input into it? Because sometimes you don't know how it's going to affect people. Mm -hmm. And that's what the good companies are doing is that they have people on their specking committees. They have people in different um, committees that are evaluating different kinds of equipment and different processes so that you get that you get that information and then you can you can work on it but if you don't ask people mm-hmm. how it's affecting them you're never going to know so and do a, a pilot lot, project exactly and like that to see to really assess what that impact is going to be and figure out a plan which is something you would do in an office where everybody's there and you put in a you know if you put a policy in in an office where everybody's situated geographically you're going to find out really quick when there's holes <laughs> Because people are going to be banging on your door and going, this isn't working. This isn't working. We Mm -hmm. can't do it like this. But when you have drivers who don't even see the impact until they're 300 miles away from your Mm -hmm. office, then it's a lot harder to get that communication. So you have to think about it a little bit harder as a carrier um, about how you're going to get that information from your employee. It's weird because trucking companies still think of their drivers as like, a different kind of employee than their office staff, which Mm -hmm. they have really got to stop doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in bits and pieces, we do see that starting to happen. Certainly the better operators are um, thinking that way and it really shows. So it's, it's going to be interesting for me to do this presentation next week because it has been so long since I've been out there to do one of these things, get out there in front of people and do uh, a lengthier um, presentation and, and talk about this stuff. It'll be interesting to see what the response is and you know what people take away from it. So, what else we got happening? You're going on the radio next week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what's that? You're going to be on Road Dog, right? Yeah, uh, we are going to be. Um, I'll be on Road Dog along with the Mark Willis show at two p.m. on. 2 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, right? The 15th. Yeah, I think it's Tuesday. Is that Tuesday? So it'll be me and Rick Williams, the CEO of Central Oregon Truck Company, who is the overall small fleet, the best small, the overall winner for the best fleets to drive for in the small carrier category. Man, I cannot say that. Yeah. Don't try it again. No. Best overall, best overall fleet in the small carrier category. Best, see, you nearly lost it there. Best overall fleet in the small carrier category. Yeah. And you got to warm up for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so Rick will be talking about 
um, I don't know what we're going to be talking about, but it'll, it'll probably be <laughs> talking. Yeah, well, find out. it'll be whatever Mark is asking questions about, probably about, you know, how you become a best fleet, um, you know, what the experience is like. I know they had a big celebration mm. at Central Oregon, so, and Rick was really happy to have won. Good. And I think we've talked about that before on this uh, yeah, podcast. So, yeah. So it'll be nice to talk. I haven't talked to him for ages. So I haven't talked to him since the convention. So it'll be nice to. Yeah. Which to, was like uh, a month and a half ago. Really? It seems like years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe we're just getting old and our memory's going. That is also a possibility. A we've very been, strong possibility. A drink adult brain. That yeah. thinks everything is ages ago. So, okay. Back in the days. Yeah, that'll be a good time. And you got some new courses that you're working on, one that's uh, finished and, and one that looks like it's coming along nicely. We are going to be doing, um, we're doing a version of vehicle inspection for Quebec because mm. um, they have different, slightly different uh, rules around vehicle inspection. Um, also, we have a, a forklift course will be coming for the U.S. And after I finish uh, whistleblowing, I believe, Weights and Dimensions, possibly? No. Yeah. You're finally going to do a Weights and Dimensions course? Yeah, I don't know if that's what it's going to be called, but it'll probably end up being called that. I don't know why I'm even saying that, so... I'm not even sure what it's going to be about, so that's going to be... Now we've said it, we're going to have people asking tomorrow when it's available. Oh, really? Um, I don't know. I have to look at the, I have to look at the board. Yeah, because yeah, I think I moved something up and as well. And it's been a few months, so, you know, there could be a change to the hours of service regs. Oh, don't... Oh, actually, we have some French language vehicle inspection coming. Yeah, we got a bunch more French coming, for sure. Yeah... Um, but is there more Spanish? Um, I think we've got all of the stuff that's been translated is, is out. Is so we're so, probably due to send something else out Yeah, and get it going. So yeah, it's chugging along nicely. Good. Very nice. Mm -hmm. On the, uh, learning management side, it's been a lot of, a lot of stuff that people don't really see. The, uh, the biggest thing over the past month and a half has been, significant changes to the uh, Ontario certification program for long combination vehicles, which uh, runs through our system through the Ontario Trucking Association. And there's significant changes there to the way they're um, tracking the companies that are permitted, the way they're tracking and certifying instructors. And because it's been a while since any real changes have happened, there's a long laundry list of things that they want updated and tweaked, sort of operational stuff as you're going through it, you realize, you know, we need a new process for replacement certificates or for adding rush orders and things like that. So we've been working on that pretty extensively um, in-house. It's at the testing stage now, but it is a very complicated certification program with a lot of different streams. So testing takes quite a while to go through all the different scenarios. And there's a number of things that happen automatically based on the age of the certificate or um, the age of um, the renewal process and things like that. So we've got to set up base data to do testing as well and you know, add some certificates that are about to expire so we can see what happens then and new monthly reports that go out automatically, all of that stuff. So that's been a pretty monumental task uh, internally. Um, 
they're aiming to go live with these changes June 1st, uh, and it's going to include changes to the rates and all of that stuff as well. So that's going to be a big chore. Um, hopefully we'll be wrapped up on that soon. Um, the upside for um, sort of the regular subscription customer is that a lot of the stuff that we start with in these certification programs ends up making its way into the main uh, system. Yeah. So like the event management stuff started out as a way to track classroom training um, for the LCV program. The um, the way we do, we track practical uh, activities. Uh, so for LCV certification, there's some prerequisite tests online, then there's a classroom course, then there's yard skills that have to be documented, and then there's a final road test that people have to do, and all of that gets tracked through our system. So all of those functions are finding their way over time into the core service as well so that fleets will be able to track road tests for drivers, practical activities, That'll all of that cool kind of stuff. To be able mm-hmm. to track that stuff. So that's uh, that's been a big thing. Uh, we also have uh, work on an updated version of our API, uh, which is just about to go into testing now. And we've been making a bunch of changes to the um, the dedicated functions that we have for our support people. So they have been suffering um, almost as long as your content authoring no. people. They have not been suffering as long. I said long. almost as long. Not even close. I've been su- I don't. I have not had any updates since almost day one. No, that's not true. You've had some updates to the authoring system, not to the, not to the LMS part. Yeah, so that's coming too. Actually, basically, you've removed bugs. That's all you've done. You've made it so that I can use it. You probably added more bugs in the process as well. <laughs> but yes, the, actually, your content authoring uh, overhaul is. Uh, is shaping up so that's that's good uh, yeah i'm excited about that. that we've got support role stuff so a lot of stuff that won't directly um impact customers uh but will indirectly make life a lot better for them make it easier for the support people to help out and uh, stay on top of things make it easier for you to uh, uh manage stuff for your team to manage uh, the content uh, development and updates which of course helps you guys to crank out content more quickly mm-hmm. And uh, I've got some other ideas that I'm working on that will be uh, happening over the summer as well. But it's uh, it's a very busy time in the product development world. But it will not be apparent for a some few months. Some of it won't be apparent yeah. for a little while. There's some stuff that's been going live. And sometimes the, the tweaks and changes, we can post them uh, fairly quick if they're simple ones. Uh, sometimes people request things that are really very straightforward and and once they requested it, it's so simple you you almost can't stop yourself from doing it you know because <laughs> it's so obvious once somebody suggests it, it's like oh yeah why don't we have that boom it's done the next day yeah um and we've got a number of new partners coming on board as well so we're setting up things for them getting them ready to go um we announced the uh, uh our partnership with kunkel and associates uh i think last week that mm-hmm. announcement final finally went out uh, we've got two or three other partners that are in the process of getting set up and getting rolling as well. So it's uh, a very active and we continue to hire um, to, uh, to help out in all of these places as yep. well. And I think that kind of takes me to the end of everything I wanted to talk about. I think we're at the end of everything we wanted to talk about, period. All right. Well, then I think we can wrap it up. All right. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us, everyone, and have a great day.